Good morning. Someone was pointing out, and it's true, I was getting ready this morning, and I thought, wow, it's been a while since I've been at Crosspoint. I don't think I've been here since Christmas Eve, so it is good to be back with you all today. Uh, thank you. <laughs> but one person, no, <laughs> it's great. Have you ever had one of those days where you feel like you're a total mess? That's, that's today for me. Some of the folks can already attest to it. You know, I woke up a little bit slowly this morning. I made my, my coffee and I just kind of like drove without thinking to work this morning. And I got here and I realized I didn't have my clergy collar. And I'm not entirely sure that I can do ministry without this, you know. It's kind of an Anglican thing. And I thought, well, I could preach without it, but would they even recognize who I am? And th- so thankfully, I have a spare. I have a spare. It's in my office. But these things are actually contraptions to put on, <clears throat> and it didn't have all of the pieces. So this thing's literally paper clipped to my neck right now. <laughs> so, and it's a size too small, so it's kind of choking me a little bit. So I'm going to push on, but just know, like, if you've ever felt like you're a mess and that God can't use you, know that if God's going to use me today, he can use you too, which kind of goes with the theme of our, our scripture today. So our scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, and they fished They fished for a living. So Jesus called them and said, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called to them at once, and they also followed him leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. This is the word of the Lord. So this year, I have the privilege of teaching all of the first senior class at Cross Schools. So for many years, Cross Schools was a K-8 through institution, but four years ago, we started building out, and we had our first freshman class and then our sophomore class. Well, this is the year, praise God, that we will graduate 16 seniors. Praise God. So the senior capstone class for these 16 seniors is a faith formation class that we call World Changers, because we believe that regardless of the career that these children step into, God is calling them to do something great for the kingdom of God. Now, I don't always have success at convincing my students that God is calling them to do something great. I remember very early in the semester, in the fall, I was talking to one of the students, and I said, you know, God is calling you to do great things. We all have a calling from God to go out into the world and to make a difference. And this student looked me dead in the eyes, and he said, dude, I just want to be an accountant. And I said, well, God certainly needs accountants, but I'm talking about something in addition to your daily job, right? We've got folks that are going to be doctors and lawyers and accountants and everything else. 
But regardless of what you do for a living, God is calling you to be a disciple. A disciple called to go out into the world and be like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to lead others to Jesus. All of us are called to do this. You know, whenever I was doing some work, I was studying uh, this text from Mark, and it says that the time had come, and so the fullness of Jesus' message of love would be revealed later on in his ministry on the cross, whenever he died for all of us. But right here, he has like the beginning parts of his message, and he says, this is the first thing that he says, repent, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. So repent of your sins and believe the good news. Immediately, after he begins preaching, Jesus does the work of gathering people to follow him. And, and we, he called these people disciples. And so I spent a lot of time re- researching, like, what does a disciple do? Like, what is a disciple? And sometimes we picture discipleship as simply being a process of intellectual growing, right? So discipleship being, I learn about the Bible, and I, I remember these things, and I do all of this. But, but for Jesus, discipleship was so much more. A disciple was not only someone that learned things, but it was one who became like the teacher. And that likeness of the teacher turned into a way that they acted. So a disciple, a disciple was someone who learned about Jesus did the works of Jesus, and became like Jesus. And just as these early disciples were called to do this, you and I are called to do the same, called to become disciples. Unfortunately, in my observations over the years, the vast majority of discipleship efforts in the contemporary church are focused on making good students, building knowledge of the head, but neglecting knowledge of the heart. True discipleship must include a transformation in our behavior, our attitudes, our affections, and what we think. Simply knowing more about a book of the Bible, that's not really discipleship until what we learn about that thing absorbs into the way that we live our lives. And so here at the Church of the Cross, we are making a decision to do discipleship differently to make sure that we not only equip you with what you know, but but that what we teach you affects the way that you live the day-to-day, affects the way that you treat others around you, affects the way that you think even. And so we're getting ready to introduce a two-part series of discipleship that I'm going to share a little bit about. So the first part of this two-part series is something called Alpha. Alpha Discipleship has been around for almost 50 years. It was founded in the 1970s at an Anglican church in England, and the goal of Alpha was to be an evangelistic effort. So churches would have these Alpha groups, usually in a person's home, and it would go for 10 weeks, and and what you would do is you would invite your friends and family to to come and go through this process where you you re-examined the basics of the Christian faith. And, and today, what Alpha is, it continues to be a great evangelistic effort through which millions of people have come to know Jesus, but it's also a way for those who are in the church to reestablish their foundational knowledge about Jesus Christ. Because all of us, 
you know, we go through the years and we think that we are masters of the basics, but from time to time, there, there's something that gets missed about the very basics about who Jesus is. And so we're going to launch a 10-week series of Alpha here at the church, and we're going to do it right here, not here, across town, at the historic church in the parish hall. And we're inviting everyone to come out to these, this 10-week series. You know, I think a lot about foundations, and I'm not an architect or an engineer, but I like to pretend like I'm one from time to time. And so recently, my wife wanted to give our children, Ezra and Levi, a playground for Christmas. And I did a great deal of research on playgrounds, and a lot of the kits that you can buy at the, the big stores like Lowe's or Home Depot, they're rather flimsy. The, the wood is really thin. If you stand on them, you can shake the whole thing. And I decided, I want to do something different. I want this to, to be able to be sturdy with two little boys as they grow up. I want it to be able to endure the weather and the elements. And so I started working and I built this. And I... It was not all sunshine and roses, though, let me tell you. I found out there's a reason that I'm a pastor and not an engineer. As I, as I was, you know, building this and set, we were setting the posts in the ground, eventually, you know, I set the first ones in there, and we concrete them in, and we go to the second one, and we set those, and we the third ones. And, you know, the posts are really important because that's where your strength comes from. Everything that you build on top of that is built upon the foundation. And I looked at the posts, and they went like this. They were crooked. They were not in a straight line. And so I had a decision to make. Either I could build on a crooked foundation. I could build on a crooked foundation, but then what happens? I want this to be a safe, fun environment, a stable environment for my children to, to love for many years. But if I build something on a crooked foundation, it inherently becomes risky, becomes dangerous, it becomes weakened. And so I had another choice, and that was to do the hard work of digging up my foundation and realigning it to make sure it was right. Now, some of us have been Christians for a long time, but some of the very basic foundational pieces about what we know about Jesus are maybe a little crooked. The foundation isn't maybe entirely strong. And so for some of us, we need to do the hard work of looking at our foundational pieces, and we may need to dig up a few things and realign them so that they're strong, so that we can continue to be built up in our faith, so that we can become stronger, so that we can endure the storms of life. And so Alpha is a process through which we can go through and do the hard work of making sure that we know Jesus that we are prepared to go into the world to make disciples. It sets this foundation that you can build upon. So some of us will do really well by going through this process. The second step that we're introducing to our discipleship process is called rooted. And rooted is a lot newer of a process than Alpha is. It was actually created in Africa amongst our faithful brethren over in Nigeria. And so they created this to help a, a Christian learn how to connect with God, learn how to connect into the church, and learn how to discern and live into their purpose from God. Rooted is deep and challenging discipleship. Some folks that start Rooted will say very quickly, this is not for me, because it challenges us on very deep levels. So Rooted gets into the actual work 
of helping us become more like Jesus. It gets into your habits. It gets into your life. It gets into your choices. It gets into how you think. And we've already had a few people go through Rooted, and, and they would all say, yeah, it's really good and really hard. It's really good and really hard. It gets into looking at seven rhythms of discipleship. It, it challenges you to do daily devotions with God. It challenges you in how to build a prayer life. It pushes on, on how to live a life of repentance, how to give, how to serve, how to share your story with others, and how to worship. So, with all of the folks in here today, some of you all will really enjoy and benefit from going through the Alpha process. We have some little cards that are around at the Connect desks that you can use to figure out how to register to come to that. And some of you all are ready to jump right into Rooted, and we're going to be launching Rooted at the end of May, and it'll be another 10-week series. So be thinking about that and, and say, I really want to grow in my faith. I want to become a disciple. I want to learn some more stuff about Jesus that not only changes how I think, but how I live. Check out these opportunities. You know, in Scripture, Jesus often uses the analogy of trees and plants for discipleship. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches, right? Later on, or earlier on in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, you can identify a tree by its fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. And as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. What kind of tree are you? And here's another thing about trees. No matter how old a tree gets, a tree grows until the day it dies. And now we all know that in the human, our physical bodies, we all grow to a certain point, and then we kind of go the opposite way after a while, right? We kind of start shrinking a little bit, or we expand in other ways. This collar used to fit, right? <laughs> but whenever we're talking about spirituality, our growing is never supposed to stop. Just like a tree adds a ring to its rings as it grows larger and larger every year, your spiritual life with God is supposed to grow and add layers to it so that your canopy grows bigger, your roots grow deeper, so that you become a good tree that produces good fruit. What kind of fruit do people know you by? Hmm. Whenever I talk about discipleship, and, and being effective witnesses for Jesus in the world. My favorite text to look at is, is, is Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, the church is fairly new. This is just a matter of, of weeks or months after Jesus has ascended, and the church has already grown to about 5,000 people. It was becoming a real threat to the Jewish religious leaders. And so they arrest Peter and John, and the high priest proceeds to question them. And it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the very men who had condemned Jesus to die. And then after Peter was done, the members of the council, it says, were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. And they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Imagine having boldness and effectiveness despite being ordinary with no special training. What they did have was twofold. 
They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they had spent time with Jesus. Having a a seminary degree is not what qualifies you to make a disciple of your neighbor. Having an extensive biblical knowledge is not the thing that qualifies you to go into the world and serve the world for Jesus Christ. The thing that qualifies you for this work is being filled with the Holy Spirit and spending time with Jesus. And then if you do those two things, your knowledge of God will grow. Your knowledge of the Scriptures will grow. But these are the two requirements. Now, I don't often... Um, get into the Greek of a New Testament passage, because quite honestly, whenever I start doing that, people say, well, it looks like Greek to me, and they use that as an excuse to not pay attention. So I don't do it very often, but I'm going to share with you a little bit of Greek today, all right? Hold fast. The word in Greek that is translated as common men, these were ordinary people, common men, it is this Greek word, idiotes. You can probably guess the English word that is directly derived from this Greek word. It's idiot. This, the, the Pharisees were looking at Peter and John, and they were like, these are just some total ordinary men, right? Idiotes. And the thing is that whenever Jesus called them, they were still that. Jesus knew that they were ordinary whenever he called them. And here's the thing, if Jesus can use an ordinary idiot like Peter and John, he can use you too. I'm just being honest. He can use me too, even in my forgetfulness or my my flightiness or whenever I forget to put my collar on right. If he can use me, he can use you, right? In 2 Corinthians 12, Jesus assures Paul, my grace is sufficient. My power works best in weakness. And Paul says, I am now glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I'm reminded of a story I heard once of a man named Henry. And Henry He kind of hopped around in his adult life from job to job to job, never quite finding the thing that he particularly enjoyed or was particularly good at. But one day his wife said, listen, honey, it's time for us to have some stability in our lives. Why don't you go out and find a real job? And so he went out and and got a job at a car dealership as a salesman. He had never done this before, but he thought it sounded fun. He liked cars after all. So things turned terribly wrong, though, a few weeks later, whenever he realized that that he just could not bring himself to actually talk to a customer to make the sale. He was filled with fear every time someone would pull up. And and so he became the politest salesman in the world. He would see someone in the parking lot and say uh, to his colleague, hey, buddy, uh, there's someone out there in the parking lot. Why don't you take this one? Right? And before long, the, the boss, the manager, he liked to send his salesmen on occasion to some conferences to learn you know, all that they needed to know about the newest and the greatest and the latest features on the cars. And every time a conference came up, he said, hey, send me. A conference came up to advanced salesman tactics, and he went to that one. And before long, he was the most educated, the most prepared, the most knowledgeable salesman that they had in the dealership. 
but he couldn't talk to the people. He couldn't actually sell a car. And so finally, his manager was like, hey, Henry, you're like a super nice guy. You know all of this stuff. But listen, your job is to sell cars. And unless you sell cars, you got to go. So this turned him quite desperate, right? And we all know what desperate people do. They do desperate things. And so he's worrying and fretting. He tried to go out and make the sale, but he just couldn't do it. And so the end of the day, on the last day that he had to sell a car, he decided to buy a car from himself. (laughs) He signed the paperwork. He walked over to the leaderboard that said, number of cars sold. And he wiped off the zero and put a one. And the manager walked up and slapped him on the back and said, good job. Keep up the good work tomorrow. The next day, he's filled with such pride at his accomplishment that he decided, you know, I felt so good selling one car to myself. Why don't I buy five more? So he does this. He signs the paperwork. And, and the manager so happy to see the six. He sold six cars this month after not selling any for so many. He, he says, you are going to be the, the salesman of the month. You're going to get the special car parking spot right outside the door next month. You are doing so great. He was over the moon with all of this adulation that he decides to go home early. He picks up some wife, his wife some, some chocolates and flowers, and they celebrate that evening. And they celebrate until a a, a semi-truck pulls up with six cars on the back. And he has to explain to his wife what he did. And you can understand how furious she was. And she says, well, you've got to sell every one of them. And then he realizes the pickle that he's in. And so what he does is he goes and he posts on some online marketplaces, these cars barely used right off the lot. And before long, he has people coming to look at him. And and the first person pulls up and he's so filled with fear. He just can't motivate himself to go outside, but he looks around at his wife and, and she's standing there like this. And so suddenly he feels the motivation starting to come back to go out and talk to the person. And, and once he actually starts talking to that first person, he says, yeah, this is a great car. In fact, I actually know a whole lot about this vehicle, this particular model. And he shares all of the features and he shows how it does all of these neat things. And he says, the warranty is even transferable in full. After all, he knew a lot about this car. He knew a lot about how to make a sale. So the person agreed on the spot to buy it. And he thought, wow, that wasn't so hard. And before long, he had sold all of those cars and went back to work, a totally different person, ready to do the work. And, you know, I think about Henry, and I think about us and how we go through our faith, and I think we're not so different sometimes, right? I have a distinct memory, a distinct memory of of being a a brand-new pastoral intern some 12 years ago, uh, whenever I was in college, it was my first church assignment, and the pastor said, one of your responsibilities is going to be to go into the homes of the shut-ins, and you're going to just visit them. And so I remember just being totally filled with fear and standing at that door, and I stood at this woman's door for 10 minutes, getting up the courage to knock on it. I'm like, what am I going to talk about? She doesn't know me. Like the pastor had called ahead and warned her that I was going to come. And so finally I I get the courage. I knock on the door. She opens up the door and she says, what are you, 14 years old? First thing. (laughs) By the way, I still get the same reaction. (laughs) She lets me in. We sit down. 
She had made me a cup of tea. It was quite nice. And we just talked. And I left and I said, you know what? I think I might be able to do this whole pastoring thing. So the first time that you sign up to go with the Church of the Cross visitation team, and you go to someone that you don't know and you're not really sure what you're going to say, but you know that you're called to be there, it can be a little scary, and that's okay. The first time that you go and serve at the food bank and you are, your job is to carry the basket of food to the car and you see someone sitting across the door from you that, that maybe you don't even speak the same language as, it can be a little scary. The first time that, that your neighbor comes up to talk to you and you feel a nudge in your heart that the Holy Spirit is saying, tell them about Jesus it can be totally terrifying. But once you do it once, it becomes a lot easier the second time and then the third time. And through that, you might just discover a calling. You might just discover that you're good at it. And you might even just discover that you really love doing it, right? Whenever we live like Jesus by loving those around us, we preach a message of repentance, we guide them toward God, and through this, we become ordinary people that do extraordinary things. You know, I often think about the great Christians of our faith. If I said, list out some of the greatest Christians you've ever heard of, you might say someone like, Billy Graham. You might say someone like Mother Teresa, right? C.S. Lewis, if you're Jonathan Riddle. Um, <laughs> But my question is, do you know who led these people to faith in Jesus? Someone had to do it. And it probably wasn't someone as famous as them. The thing is, you could be discipling the next person that leads people to Jesus around the world like Billy Graham. You could be discipling the next person who's going to go and transform the world and alleviate suffering like Mother Teresa. You could be discipling the next great academic who's going to write, write books that lead people to faith in Jesus for generations. Never underestimate your ability to change the world whenever you spend time with Jesus and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you walk in obedience. Here at the Church of the Cross, we are in the business of cultivating people who change the world. Will you join us in changing the world around you? Thanks be to God. Amen.